Thanks, Vicki. Hey, it's great to be with you guys today. Um, hey, before we get started and I get going on my talk, I just want to acknowledge that um, tomorrow is Veterans Day. So if you are able to and you are a veteran, would you mind standing for a second? We just would like to honor you and recognize you. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, for, thank you for your service. Thank you to your families for your service. I know husbands and wives and kids of people who serve. Uh, it's a whole family affair. So thank you so much. We pray that your day would be, you'd feel honored tomorrow. Um, but if you were here last weekend, we had a wonderful chance to hear from Christopher and Denise Meyer, who are missionaries serving in Brazil. And they got a, and we got to hear their story, their personal kind of testimonies and what God is doing uh, in Brazil, and it was a really, I know, wonderful talk, and a really challenging talk, I think, too, in some ways, but uh, if you missed that talk, I would highly encourage you to go listen to it online, on the podcast, or grab a CD on the way out, but prior to that, prior to last weekend, we'd spent the last, I think I counted, 16 weeks, 16 weekends, I believe, going verse by verse through a chunk of scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew verses, or chapter 5 through chapter 7, and in a chunk of scripture that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we called this series Redefined, as we were talking about uh, going through this sermon that Jesus gave. And today, today we've come to the end of it. We've come to the final conclusion of Jesus's sermon. In this series, we've talked about how Jesus has been speaking to his disciples, primarily, but also to a crowd of Jewish people about what it looks like to be a a true follower of God. That true religion doesn't start with the behaviors that we do on the outside, but it starts with a heart change on the inside. In a Jewish culture steeped in rituals and traditions and all about following the rules and the laws, he was correcting really the, the people's interpretation of the law and how they live their lives. He was addressing uh, real life issues. We've talked about these things. He talked about, you know, divorce. He talked about what do we do with our worries and our anxiety. He talked about um, judging other people. And while our outward actions are important, all along the way, Jesus has made it really clear that it's the inward nature of our hearts that are that we need to look at first, that are the most important. And I know many of you, as I've talked to many of you, have mentioned that this series has been a really good one, but a really challenging one, where you've had to make a lot of, you know, exchanges with God. You've had to, you know, he's been really pressing into things in in your life. And I think we'll see that in the conclusion that Jesus gives today, that the same thing will hold true. So let me just pray and invite God to speak with us before we look at this scripture. So God, I just thank you for your presence I thank you for your presence here with us today. We ask that as we look at this conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, that you would help us to come to a moment of conclusion, a moment of clarity, of decision, to take the next step with you, God, whatever, whatever you would have for each one of us. And I pray you'd be just continue to be with us here today. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, starting off in verse 15 through 29. Uh, if you have a if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the stage up here. There's ones in the back. Um, verses will also be on the screen here in a second. But this is a longer chunk of Scripture. And I don't typically like to go through a big, long chunk all at once. 
But sometimes we can kind of miss the forest for the trees when we just focus on little things. So we're going to go through, I'm going to read through it all to kind of get the big picture, and then we'll go through and look at it kind of more verse by verse. So it starts off like this, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Now, if you happen to be here two weeks ago, Heather spoke about two gates and two roads. And here we see that Jesus continues in a series of two, of of giving two things in all of his illustrations. There are two animals, sheep and wolves dressed like sheep. There are two trees and two kinds of fruit, good fruit and bad fruit. There are two houses on two different foundations. One is built on rock and one is built on the sand. And at first glance, they kind of seem all disconnected. Like these are just random things that Jesus thought were great ideas and he just threw them on at the end, right? But actually, that's not true at all. These things are all very much connected. They're very intentional. They all point to the fact that there are two kinds of people, Jesus says. There are wise people And there are foolish people. There are people who are Jesus' true disciples, true followers, true Christians. And there are people who aren't. So let's let's go back to verse 15. He says there are two there are two kinds of animals. Two kinds of it says, verse 15: watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Two kinds of animals. There are sheep. And there are wolves that look like sheep. Jesus says, watch out. He says, pay attention, listen up. If you don't remember anything else I've said over this whole sermon that's been going on and on and on for a while now, pay attention to this thing. Remember this one thing. He says, watch out for false prophets. And the Amplified Bible says that the word prophets could also be translated teachers. So he's saying, watch out for false prophets and false teachers. They look like sheep on the outside, but really they're wolves. 
Now, this illustration is a little odd, right? I mean, it's a little odd. I mean, it's not as if a wolf could actually dress itself like a sheep. A wolf would eat a sheep, but it's not like it would, you know, pull off the wool and get some Elmer's glue and try to use its little paws to stick it on it. No, that's not going to happen, right? So why would Jesus pick this animal? Why wouldn't he just pick something closer to a sheep, like a goat or something? You know, it's similar, but different. To describe the people who are false teachers and false prophets. Well, in uh, the time, uh, in biblical times, in the Jewish audience, they would have known a little bit more about this than we do. But ever since the Old Testament prophet Elijah, it was common attire for a prophet to wear sheep wool or sheepskin. That was kind of the uniform of the prophet. And so people would, would walk along and, and see other people and, you know, and they'd be like, oh, who are you wearing? Is that cashmere? No, it's sheep's wool. Oh, you're a prophet, right? And that's what they would say. They would, well, probably not that, but, but, but also in the Old Testament, other prophets named like Ezekiel and Zephaniah, they both point out that false prophets, false prophets, also would dress like this. But those two prophets, Ezekiel and Zephaniah, called these false prophets wolves, these false leaders wolves. And so Jesus is playing off of this idea. He warns his listeners to be aware that not everyone who claims to hear from God, not, every, not everyone who says that they're a prophet of God or a teacher of God is actually from God. They're actually not all being authentic. And this continues the theme that Jesus has brought up all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that what one chooses to wear on the outside and to show the rest of the world is not necessarily what is true about the person on the inside. But who are these wolves in this passage? Who is Jesus talking about? Well, we don't know for sure, but likely Jesus probably would have thrown in the Pharisees into this group. They were the teachers of the law at the time, And all throughout this sermon, Jesus has been very blunt with them. He's called them hypocrites, actors. You know, saying that there's something different on the outside than they are on the inside. But today, today it would definitely be a warning to be aware of the voices that we're listening to. You know, the the TV personalities or the the popular podcaster that seems to have really great things to say. Even, even... Even pastors, even pastors. I would personally have preferred if this section were never in the Bible, (laughs) right? Because you're all looking at me and thinking, Andrew, what big teeth you have. (laughs) No, but I I think here's the deal. We, We like to joke around a lot. We don't like to take ourselves too seriously, but but we do like to take Jesus seriously. And if we're going to take Jesus seriously, that means we're going to take everything that Jesus said seriously, even the tough stuff, even the challenging things. So as as a leader, I need to walk the walk that I'm talking and calling all of you to walk. That that is, as we're walking with God together, that that we need to be as leaders vulnerable and transparent and honest too. And so I think this would include any leaders who that Jesus was talking about false there's any leaders who are unwilling to preach the full gospel. Any person who picks and chooses what ways of Jesus to follow and which ways not. Like, like talking about Christ without the cross. 
or forgiveness and mercy without confession or repentance. You know, it's like, it's like looking like one of God's sheep on the outside, but on the inside, someone who is really self-seeking, really entitled or motivated by getting their own needs met, and maybe their inner life with God is really lacking. Someone who isn't poor in spirit, isn't meek and merciful, someone whose heart is not soft like wool towards God. And I bet at this point in his talk, Jesus was reading the audience, and I bet he was thinking, he knew what they were thinking, because he always seems to know that. And I bet he knew they were thinking, well, how do we know who's who? How do I know? What, is the guy to my right, you know, one of these wolves? What about the gal to my left? Am I, one of, am I a wolf? How do we know? How do we know the difference? Well, before the panic sets in, Jesus answers their question. He tells them. He says, you can tell by the fruit that they produce. You can tell by the fruit that they produce. There are two kinds of fruit. Verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Again, two, two, two trees, two kinds of fruit. Trees that produce good fruit and trees that produce bad fruit. And the word bad here doesn't mean fruit that I just don't prefer. Like, I don't like the taste of pineapple or something. It literally means rotten or diseased fruit. But Jesus is saying here, at first glance, from a distance, it might actually be hard to tell the difference. There are the two trees that Jesus talks about. He doesn't distinguish any differences in how the actual tree looks in their branches or their leaves. It's not as if one of the trees is healthy and the other one looks dead, right? It's only by their fruit that they are different. And sometimes the rottenness of fruit isn't exposed until you taste it or you look on the inside. Go ahead and put that first picture up of here. So a bunch of grapes, right? Jesus said... Grapes don't grow on thorn bushes, right? Well, the first or on the left is a clump of grapes. But actually, the picture on the right is not grapes. It's a berries from a thorn bush. Berries from a type of thorn bush called a buckthorn. And they're toxic if you eat them. But they don't look that different at first glance. Put up that next picture. Hey, there's a, a grouping of figs on the left. Jesus said, figs don't grow on thistles. Those are a group of figs on the left. Well, on the right, it kind of looks like a fig, but it's actually a thistle, and it's something called a thistle gall. And it, it's actually not its fruit. It's an infection in it. Uh, a fly, there's a certain type of fly, digs a hole in the stem of the thistle and lays its eggs in there. And all that growth around it is all filled with its maggots. That sounds delicious, doesn't it? (laughs) Jesus says, he's basically saying that these things look similar. They're similar in color and shape. But the fact is, they're not what they seem. They're bad fruit. They're toxic. They're infested. 
And so the humble thing that Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to reflect on our own fruit. Is the fruit that I'm growing any good? Now, fruit does take time to grow. That we, are, we need to remind ourselves and give ourselves grace that we are a work in process, right? But over time, Jesus says that we should be able to tell if our fruit stinks or not. So, so Andrew, are you saying that the answer is that I just need to be a really, really good person? Like, I just, I need to do all these things that Jesus has been talking about over these last number of weeks we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, that I just need to do all these things and basically be like a healthy tree and grow really, really good fruit. I just need to do really, really good things in this life and try to do that as much as I can. And Jesus, again, he's so smart. He's so smart. He anticipates their thinking and he says, no, that's not it. That's not it. That's not what I'm talking about. He says, let me give you another illustration. He says, there are two kinds of followers of mine. There are two kinds of disciples. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Two kinds of disciples, two kinds of Christians. I find some of these, these few verses here, some of the most challenging and offensive verses in the whole Bible. Jesus says, there are two kinds of Christians, but unfortunately, many of them are false ones. But on the outside, they'll look the same. They'll have a lot of things in common. First of all, even false disciples will have some good theology. They call Jesus Lord, 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 Lord. The Greek word for Lord here, it isn't just a title of respect or being polite. It isn't just saying, calling Jesus like sir. It actually implies deity. It implies deity that these, these people, these false disciples will recognize that Jesus is God, but they aren't necessarily his true followers. Another part of the Bible says even the demons recognize Jesus as God. Second, these people are passionate about their faith and their religion. They're passionate about it. They don't just say Lord once, they say it twice, which might be missed on us, but in ancient Jewish culture, to repeat something more than once was a sign of showing great emotion and emphasis and passion. These people, these people are passionate about talking about Jesus. So you can be passionate and talking about Jesus and still not be a Christian, that's possible. And third, these people are doing ministry. These people are doing ministry. They're prophesying, they're casting out demons, they're performing miracles. These are super gifted people. And we would look at this passage and say, wait a minute, this makes no sense. This makes no sense. Isn't the fact that they're doing all those things proof? Isn't that proof? that they're your disciples, Jesus? Isn't that proof? I mean, these people look like way above average disciples. These like are like super disciples. And Jesus would say, well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. In the Bible, we do see instances where the Spirit empowers some people to do amazing things even when they're not walking with God. King Saul would be an example in the Old Testament. Even Judas, Judas, one of the 12 disciples. He walked around 
with Jesus, performed miracles, laid hands on people. People got, who were sick got healed. And yet the penny never quite dropped for him. He never really got it. He ne- the, the true message of the gospel never sunk in. And it's also important to note that the gifts of the Spirit are not the same things as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23 says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are, these are inner character things. These are, these are inner fruits that, that slowly over time trans, are, we are transformed as we're walking with Jesus. That good fruit grows in us from the inside out for someone who is a true disciple of Jesus as they walk with him and experience his grace. So these people will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? In the English translation, we throw these three things all in one sentence, all in one question, but in the original Greek, these were actually three separate statements. It says, they say we three times. They say we three times. Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? It's all about what we did for them. What we did to deserve and earn our spot in heaven. Not what you did, Jesus. And then I think that Jesus' response is one of the saddest, scariest verses in the whole Bible. It says that Jesus will respond I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You imposters, you wolves pretending to be sheep. You trees who are producing bad fruit. A couple weeks ago, I heard a news story. Uh, I think it took place in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And there was a, what seemed to be like a routine traffic stop. There were two cars pulled over on the side of the road. One was an SUV. One was a, an unmarked cop car with blue and red lights, you know, flashing in it. And there was a young uh, officer standing beside the SUV, and he, he was in street clothes, but he had a, a badge on his hip. Seemed like a normal, you know, you know traffic stop. Well, another police officer kind of drove by, saw the scene, and decided to pull over and be of assistance. And when he pulled over, though, something didn't seem right to him. Something didn't seem odd. And as he walked up, and started to approach the young officer, he thought to himself, I have no idea who this guy is. I've never seen this guy around the precinct before. I have no idea who he is. So he kind of waved him over. And as he talked with him, he realized, this guy isn't a police officer at all. In fact, it was a teenage kid who bought red and blue lights on eBay or something, hooked him up to his car, and bought a fake badge. And even though he was doing a good thing, he was pulling over a speeding car, a car he thought was speeding. He was trying to to do something good. The police officer, because he did not know him, arrested him and put him in jail. Now, this is a bit of a mystery to me, but in verse 22, it says, on that day, And Jesus is talking about on the day of judgment, on that day when we all stand before him, that there will be many people who have done really good things in Jesus' name, even in his authority in this life, 
They bought the red and blue flashing lights. They got the badge. And they even used them for good, but they missed the foundational truth of all, the most important truth of all, and that was that they never knew Jesus. And Jesus never knew them. The reality is, is that you can be so, so close to Jesus and do so many good things, even supernatural things, but just miss the truth of the gospel. That it's possible for someone to look like a Christian and not be one. That you could quote the Bible, you could show up to church regularly, you could be doing ministry, you can be gifted, and you can still miss the main point of, your, of our faith and still not know Jesus and his saving grace. Jesus says, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it still might not be a duck. And this is, oh, this is heavy, isn't it? This is heavy. I find this so challenging as I think about my own life. I've been wrestling with this passage for weeks, thinking about how am I gonna talk about this? And, and my biggest fear here is to cause unnecessary panic or doubt in the room right now. You know, I don't want anybody to be thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know anymore. I thought I was a Christian. I don't even know if I'm a, I don't know. Like, I don't want anybody to be feeling that right now. It's not my intention to bring confusion or doubt at all because I think this passage is actually meant to bring clarity out of confusion. I think it's meant to bring clarity out of confusion. You know, Jesus has, has been talking to his disciples and, you know, this Jewish crowd for a while now in this Sermon on the Mount. And he's been talking about all these different topics. Da, 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 da. And I'm imagining, if I was in that crowd, I'd be thinking, well, this is great, this is great, but I feel overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've just thrown a lot at you, but, but here's what you need to know. This is what it all boils down to. Do you know me? Do I know you? You know, you can come to church for many weeks. You can open the Bible and read a lot of stories and think, okay, okay, I'm supposed to work on this and I need to do this and I'm, I'm working on this and all da, da, da. And you can be like, I don't even know where to start. And Jesus says, this is where you start. This is the beginning and end of it all. All the other stuff comes from this. It comes from this. Do you know me? Do I know you? Do you have a relationship with me? And this leads to the final illustration of two things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says there are two kinds of foundations to build your life on. There are two kinds of foundations. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. There are two kinds of foundations. When I was in fourth grade, a tornado went through our yard. True story. I don't think it was like an F5 or anything like that. But it was, it was a scary, scary moment. And this was um, back in the day before we had like, you know, cell phones that could give us weather alerts. And I grew up in the country. 
So there were no, there were no tornado sirens in the country. And it was a really calm day. It wasn't really a stormy day. And I remember um, we had just finished up dinner. My, um, my younger brother and I were kind of done, and we asked if we could be excused and go in the other room and watch TV. And my mom and dad were stayed back at the kitchen table to talk just about their days. And I called my dad this week to make sure I remembered this story right since I was a kid. And it was fun to relive the memory of this crazy story. But... Um, he said he remembered all of a sudden the wind, they were sitting at the kitchen table, all of a sudden the wind just got super, super strong. Super strong. And he said all of a sudden I realized there were pine needles hitting the window beside the, the kitchen table. And we don't own any pine trees. The closest pine trees are way across the farm field at the neighbor's house, way, way down the road. And he said I looked out the window and I, I saw a tornado coming. And your mom and I, and I just remember being in watching TV with my brother, and all of a sudden my mom comes running and literally tackles me and throws me to the floor. And I thought, what is going on? This is the weirdest thing ever. (laughs) And my dad jumped on my brother, and then as the wind came, whoosh, I looked out the window that by the window we were sitting, and I looked out, and we had this playhouse that my dad had built when we were little. And this wasn't like a plastic, like prefab, light duty playhouse. This was a solid playhouse. He, I mean, it had studded walls, you know, two by four walls, um, plywood. It had a shingled roof. It probably weighed a few thousand pounds. And I watched that playhouse get picked up like it was nothing and start to come right at our house at the window we were sitting under. And the tornado picked it up and it actually hit the roof, landed on the roof, slid down the roof, just demolished our porch and stopped right in front of the window that we were laying under. And I look back at that story and I just think, wow, God, that, that was your sovereign hand saying, no, that's far enough. You're not, you're not hurting this family. You're not going through that window. But on earlier that day, we had two, there were two houses on our property. There was our actual house, which besides the damage from the playhouse had no other damage was totally fine. We were totally fine. And there was our playhouse. And our house was built on rock, dug deep in the soil, you know, deep foundation, way below the soil, into the rock. And the playhouse was just sitting on top of the soil. And at the end of the day, there was only one house left. Jesus is saying the houses in Jesus' analogy are analogies for our lives, that we can build one of two houses. We can build one of two lives. The houses in Jesus' story don't look any different on the surface. There's no distinguishing factors between them to tell them apart. He says the only difference is what's under the surface, the kind of foundation they are built on. Building a house on sand is a lot easier. You just plop it down. Building a house on rock means anchoring it deep. Jesus is the rock personified. If we try to build our life on anything, on, any, on our careers, on our other relationships, on our health, you know, on our, even on our moral principles and our good deeds, if we try to build it on anything other than knowing Jesus and having a personal relationship with him, then we're building our lives on sand that can be blown over in storms and tornadoes. And when the waters rise and the winds blow, not if, 
but when, because no one gets through life without storms, right? It's when. That will be the test of our foundation and the test of our salvation. Now, if I would have originally been the one giving this sermon instead of Jesus, if I were to put my own thoughts and ideas into this, I probably would have talked about how there were two kinds of people too. But I don't think I would have talked about the same two kinds of people. I probably would have said, you know, there's some pretty good people and then there's bad people. That's about as extensive as my brain goes on its own. But Jesus doesn't talk about those two kinds of people. He doesn't talk about those two kinds of people. He doesn't say there are good people and there are bad people. He doesn't talk about sheep and wolves. He talks about wolves that look like sheep. Notice he didn't talk about wolves that look like wolves. He doesn't bring them up. He doesn't talk about a healthy-looking tree and a dying tree that can't produce any fruit. He talks about two healthy-looking trees. But on the inside, they're different. On the inside of their fruit, they're different. He isn't, Jesus isn't talking to an audience of pagan people who are, you know, child-sacrificing their kids to false gods. He's not talking to them. He's talking to people who are Jewish. He's talking to people who, because they're Jewish, think they're in with God. Because they're God's chosen people, because they were God's chosen nation, because they were Jewish, that means they're in. And Jesus says that's not necessarily true. John 17, 3 says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life starts and ends with knowing Jesus. All that other stuff, all the other Christian practices and beliefs come out of that interpersonal relationship with him. Jesus says there are, there are two groups of people in the audience. Those of you who think that you can save yourself by being Jewish, by following the laws and the rules, and those of you who have come to realize the real truth, which is that you cannot save yourself and that you need a savior. And today, Jesus is asking us the same question. And he says, which are you? Are you someone who's trying to do things to earn your spot with God? Who's working to give God a really good report card in life and hopes that God will do things for you? Or are you someone who's come to realize that you can't do anything to earn anything from God? That it's a gift. That it's a gift. The Sermon on the Mount ends like it started. Many weeks ago, the very first verse in the Sermon on the Mount is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit, they are people who are spiritually bankrupt. They're people who have come to the end of themselves and realize they need a savior. And Jesus says, those are my true followers. Those are my true disciples. The people who know me and I know them that have met me personally, they've accepted that they are sinful and they've accepted my sacrifice on the cross by faith. There are wise people and foolish people, Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm the rock that you build your house on. He says, I am the good shepherd of my true sheep. He says, I am the vine that produces good fruit. You have two choices, now choose. Now choose. That's basically what he's saying at the end. Now this past week, as I was preparing this sermon, I kept thinking to myself, I don't want to give this talk. <laughs> this, is, this is just so tough. This is so heavy. This is so challenging. 
And as I was thinking about that and praying, I felt like God reminded me, strangely enough, of my wedding day, of all things, where I stood at the front of the altar and the doors opened up and I, and I, and I, I saw Sarah standing at the end and for a split second, she just stood there. It felt like an eternity to me. It probably wasn't that long. She stood there and she made a choice. Do I walk down that aisle and marry that really handsome guy at the other end? <laughs> or do I not? Do I just stand there and wave at him? Hey, how you doing? Or do, and, or do I not? Do I turn around and walk away? I mean, she didn't even have to break up with me. She could have just said, let's just keep dating. Like, let's just, why do we want to make this official? You know? But no, in an act of faith, she stepped forward and walked down the aisle and married me. I think, you know, in the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus is often described as wanting to be our groom. And he wants us to be his bride, which is a little weird for me to think of as a dude. But, but it, that's the invitation to all of us. In a wedding, just like this talk today, a wedding is a serious ordeal, isn't it? It's a serious moment. But it's also a moment of great joy and great celebration and great love between two people. And the same is true right here, right now. There is a seriousness in this moment, in this talk, I know. But there is also love and joy and celebration. And God doesn't want to scare us into a relationship with him. But he does want us to take it seriously. Jesus is here and he says, you have two choices. You can walk down the aisle to me or not. No one... No one gets to ooze into the kingdom of God. Eventually, everybody has to choose. Eventually, everybody has to choose. So enough of playing the Christian part, enough of trying to save yourself by being a good person, enough of looking at Jesus just as this great example, even of looking at him and saying, I think you're God. Enough of only that. Have you come to know him as your savior? Have you done that? Have you ever given your life to Jesus and said, do with it what you want. I'm yours. Why don't we, why don't we stand up?